once someone's kind of past that beginner phase where they're gonna have a really high ROI with a few fundamentals, like vegetables and protein and hydration, and you know, the big levers that are really gonna make someone feel better and have their physical body respond. I think in that intermediate and more advanced category, I'm doing a lot more mindset and expectation management. So what I mean by that, you see this a lot in fitness where the beginners are like, I just added 50 pounds to my deadlift in the last three months. No advanced person is gonna see their deadlift jump by that many pounds. Like it, the, the law of diminishing you know, returns is just that you work really hard and not a lot, the needle doesn't move a whole bunch or the weight's not coming off a whole lot easier or faster. So it's about teaching them that you're now settling into your lifelong cadence. And that's where they have to be okay to let go of external rewards. And you have to be more embracing the intrinsic reward of being a healthy person. Welcome to the Strength Connection Podcast, a show to share stories, insights, and experiences in strength, physically, mentally, and spiritually. I'm Michael Krukowski, host of The Strength Connection, and I'm so grateful that you can join me today. So in these episodes, I connect with some of the most inspiring and successful individuals to chop it up and learn from true life experiences that have helped them become who they are, the strongest versions of themselves. One of the greatest ways I've always learned the most important lessons is through stories. We all have them, and they make us who we are. So let's dive in. Here we go. Welcome back, everyone, to the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Jen, how are you? Thanks for coming back. Good. I'm so happy to be back. Such an honor when you get a repeat invite to a really great podcast. Yeah. No, we were just flowing and going last time when we were diving into all the work you do with Prosper and stuff. And there was quite a few more things I wanted to tap in on the agenda with of not only story, but just the work that you've done with not only working with individuals, but now with coaches and stuff. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we're just going to jump. But first, I'm so glad you're feeling better. <laughs> Yes, I had my first go with COVID in the four years of the pandemic. And I thought I was going to like escape it unscathed. Nope, it took me down really hard. But happy to be feeling much better this week. Yeah, no doubt. Well, that, you know, it actually leads me to my first question I was going to ask you. You know, one of the toughest things that I think we all deal with is getting back on track after something like this happen. So do you have a process that you go through when you're thrown off the the docket? Or like, yes. how do you get back into all the work that you're doing for health, wealth, all that good stuff? Yeah, such a great question. And actually, I'll tell a story of what happened in the gym this morning as a perfect example of my mindset. So one of the things I always preach and practice with my own clients is I call it the habit before the habit. And the habit before the habit is just showing up consistently and doing the best you can in that moment, but so much grace that your best goes up and down. That is actually the most important first habit is this mindset of I'm going to be consistent yet gentle with myself that some days my best is hundred, someday my best is 90, some days my best is 62% or 35%. And so the gym this morning was a great example. I've now tested negative for COVID. I'm feeling well enough that I can reintegrate into society and not spread my germs. But as I was in my workout this morning, I started to feel a little lightheaded, a little bit tired. And we were doing 200 meter run repeats with kettlebell swings mm -hmm. and push-ups and goblet squats and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And so I just realized I normally am like the fittest person in the class that I didn't need to compare myself to anyone else. And I didn't even need to compare myself with healthy Jen pre-COVID. So I just walked the 200 meters today. And after the first you know, lap of like feeling really dizzy when I came back, I was like, nope, that intensity is a little bit beyond where my body feels ready. So I was like, I can quit. That was the first thought. And then I was like, nope, you can just 
take down the intensity and be consistent, but your best right now is a way lower percentage than normal. And it felt like such a win to make that decision mid-workout. So I just dropped the intensity, started to walk all my runs, did one round instead of two round of the internal circuit stuff. And I still stayed for the whole hour, got in a productive workout. And what I'm allowing my body to do is to ease back in Mm -hmm. to the level I know I'll be back at very soon and be training at. But it's the habit before the habit. It's showing up with consistency, but just meeting yourself exactly where you're at with the challenges of life. Mm, I love that. It's, it's makes so much sense. Such a hard thing when where identity is such in yeah. the high achieving and diving mm-hmm. into it. And so you thought this mid-workout, did you know this beforehand? Like let's say like, okay, if I do feel off, like this is my plan or what did it really just more come to you like throughout when you got a little yeah. like- you hit on it with the word identity. And so I used to have, this is a where a place that my identity has shifted. I used to have the identity of like this high achieving, high performing person at all times. Now I have more of an identity of I'm a good pacer in that I have this lifelong goal of health, this lifelong goal of wellness. And to be healthy my entire life, I just have to settle in at a really reasonable pace. So I am a moderately to really good healthy eater, but I'm not rigidly perfect because I can sustain moderately to good healthy eating the rest of my life. I am a regular exerciser, but I'm no longer a CrossFit elite regional semifinal level athlete because training at that level just wasn't going to be sustainable the rest of my life. And so now I'm in my, my last year of my thirties, I'm 39. One book that really helped with that shift is the book Outlive by Dr. Pila, uh, Peter Attila. And he really talks about this idea of like training for your eighties. So what do you need to be able to do today to be alive and thriving in your eighties and nineties? And I realized, I just have to keep showing up and being active and eating well, but that chasing rigid perfectionism was actually almost creating injury and problems and more stopping and starting. So I just ease the pace a little bit and it's way easier to be consistent when you find a pace you can settle into the rest of your life. So that wasn't the mindset shift. Wasn't I'm an achiever. It's I'm a consistent person, but I just meet myself where I'm at. Mm, Yeah. It's Identity is such a, it's an interesting thing because we all have it and we say we should be free forming and be open and stuff like that. In theory, I think that's a really good topic that you can dive into and chat about on a podcast. But when we go into the work that we've done, like when you've achieved high things before and you have reference points to have to dial back for that time to build it up. It's, it's not an easy thing. So I praise you for doing that. I had something similar a few weeks back. I went into a new program. I'm training for a challenge that I've mm-hmm. aimed at before. And right off the bat, going into a new program, I got a flu bug. Wasn't COVID, but it was a bug that put me out for a bit. This is where I think it's such an interesting topic of the difference between standards and expectations, mm-hmm. where I had this expectation when I got back into training of, well, this is where I need to be. Like I did right. it this time before, so I need to get back in. And naturally I'm like pushing my pace to get like to this because that's my expectation, yeah. but expectations are external where standards mm-hmm. are more internal, where you said, I'm a good pacer. Yeah. I was like, oh, like that's setting a standard for yeah. there. And that's where I was like, okay, I need to readjust this of getting back into the groove of, okay, like what are the standards that I'm going to make sure I hold at? And mm-hmm. I think that's something that often we don't do as much. Like we're always looking at the expectations of the goals that we want to reach, which is the ceiling that we want to break through. 
but but we don't talk about the floor. Like what's the lowest common denominator that we can get, which are standards. Does that make sense? Yeah, it totally makes sense. And the word that's popping in my brain as you're, you're chatting about this is this idea about control. So many people are control freaks where they want that outcome so badly and they think if they can control all the pieces, they're going to get exactly what they want. Life doesn't always work like that. I mean, you can get punched in the face out of left field and you don't see it coming. Case in point, healthy dietitian, high level CrossFitter, stage three cancer. Did not see that one coming despite controlling food and exercise. And so one of the best lessons I think I've had to learn in a few different ways life's presented the same lesson until it really started to click is you can't fully control the outcomes. Mm -hmm. So I just always focus on the inputs. How am I showing up today? What is my best effort in this moment? How can I be consistently working towards the goals and, you know, parameters that add value and health and wealth and high quality relationships? And I just think about like showing up every day and putting in the effort towards the things that count. And then you just have to let go of controlling the outcome that you think you're going to get or how fast you think you're going to get there or if you'll even arrive because sometimes the path might change on you and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's But it's really hard to give up that control. Really hard. It is. I'm, and I'm I'm always curious about this topic of control of that, right? Mm-hmm. It's like cuz I think we think a lot more things are outside of our control than they are. And then when yeah. you actually start breaking it down, you realize, okay, there are a few very important things that you can control and then, right. you know, let go and let God or whatever the, you know, yeah. the cliche term <laughs> that you want to get in. And it seems like when we, in these terms, like when you had, like, when you got back into getting into your workout and stuff and that habit before the habit, which I absolutely love, it's, it's more about like, what do I need to subtract and focus on the minimal things rather than adding more right. stuff? And you actually, you had a recent blog post that I really loved about the law of subtraction of your yeah. elimination before. And there was yep. a quote you used, which I love information without implementation is clutter. It is like, how many people are we getting it. So I want to add how many people are in that zone of always adding more things on top. So I want to ask you that about the law of subtraction. Like, is that something that you've done for a long time in the work that you do? Or is that something that you've recently learned and implemented a lot more? So great question. This idea of subtraction was this really powerful inflection point where my success started to go up the more I started to subtract. And it started with minimalism and I'll tell the story of how it trickled into my businesses. So I don't know, 2013, 2014, I start to get into reading about decluttering, letting possessions go, just simplifying the environment that you live in. Because I find, I love the phrase outer order, inner calm. So when I have an orderly outer space, I have much easier time focusing, following through and just, yeah, a calm, clear headed mindset. And so I was in this transition phase of being a university student, master's student. I was starting businesses, you know, training at a high level with CrossFit. And I just realized all this extra noise was a distraction. And so instead of adding more things, I was like, what parts of my former life am I ready to shed? And there was this concept of in decluttering, don't let your life be like a beaver dam where you have this wall of just like everything that's ever come in is jammed Mm. and nothing can flow through. Instead, things are meant to flow in and flow out of your life. And it started with this very physical releasing of older possessions, outfits that no longer suited me. You know, I'm not going out clubbing. I probably don't need like the bar tops I used to wear when I was a bit younger. Like it was just this full de-shedding. And then in business, there was this phrase that really caught my attention, which was identify everything that's really important to you, eliminate everything else. And so you can't 
do 25 bright, shiny objects at once and expect success. And I started to think about the idea of a touchdown. If I'm a quarterback of my business, I want to have one ball that I throw one pass to one player and get that pass completed and take it all the way to the touchdown. Because the touchdown is what matters, you know, in the game of football, that's Mm -hmm. how you get your points. And so I was like, if I'm being this quarterback and I have like five balls in my arms and I'm trying to haphazardly throw them to all these different players. I'm flubbing the ball left, right, and center. The players are frustrated with me because they can't receive a poorly executed pass. And my team isn't scoring wins on the scoreboard. So I realized through this idea of subtraction, focus on one clear thing, finish it all the way through, and then you can just move to the next thing you've put in the queue. And that's how I tone down my excitement when I'm like, oh, that's a great idea. That's a great idea. That's a great idea. They are great ideas but I add them into the queue and I really think about taking one to no more than two things all the way to Mm -hmm. a touchdown. And that's where the idea of subtraction got my business moving forward much faster. Uh You, you have some of the best analogy. I thought I had good analogies. (laughs) Just pat myself on the back. That is one of my favorite. You have one ball, like where's this ball going from here? Get your touchdown. Yeah. There's a great decluttering hack I saw I wanted to share. Forget uh, where I saw it, but at the beginning of the year, take all of your hangers and you put them on the other side. Backwards. Of it, uh, backwards. So when you take something off and you wear it, that's great. And then in six months, look, all the ones that are still back there, you don't wear those anymore, honey. Right. Like, get get rid of those. And it's a perfect yeah. decluttering hack from there. I thought that was so powerful. I remember when I moved homes, I lived in a home for six years and had to clean and move. And- I had this one room that was just the throwing room. Everything oh, yeah. <laughs> that was just junk was just in that room. It was just a pile. It was such a a feeling of weight off the shoulders when I started yeah. shredding papers, eliminating mm-hmm. those things, that decluttering aspect. It was a physical thing that mm-hmm. I did that I never lost touch with. And I yeah. always laugh with this with my mom because my mom will throw away everything in the fridge all the time. I was like, oh, she's she's on the right page there. She's yeah. cleaning stuff out. What's going on there? So this process of... Of one ball though, it's, is it, is that a tough thing that you've seen people, you know, try and understand because we have, we want to lose weight. We want to get stronger. We want to manage our stress. You want to increase sleep. And it seems like there's all these things that we seem like are important and yes, they all are. So how to pigeonhole and put one focus in on one, is that a foreign concept that you've seen a lot of people like understand, like, is it a foreign thing that they're understanding when you first implement that? It is. It's, it's true with both clients and it's true. I think with a little bit of the newer coaches in the industry of you're like, I want to give you all the solutions. So -hmm. you should be doing meditation and good sleep hygiene and whole foods and exercise and making sure that you're going for daily walks. And maybe we should get you into like cold plunges. And it's just, it is too much. And the fastest way to set someone up to fail is to overwhelm them. Mm -hmm. And so it's like the fire hose, like you're thirsty. You want a glass of water, not a fire hose in the face, even though you're giving them more units of water per second with a fire hose, you're not actually helping that person meet their basic need, which is like, I need a glass of water to be hydrated. And so a lot of my own nutrition clients, I actually have to explain the psychology of behavior change before, like, again, the habit before the habit of like, you're here because you want me to help you implement better eating habits. I always say like, you're not dumb. I'm not, I'm not here to be your coach to teach you that broccoli is really good for you or how to, how to add more lean protein. I'm here because you're smart. You're driven. You care about your health but there's some kind of block between what's in your head and the information and you carrying it all the way through to completion. 
it's the implementation part that I'm going to guess that you're probably struggling with. You're like, yeah, of course, that's why I'm here. So it's like my job as your coach, as your guide is I'm really good at hiking up to the top of the mountain. So like, I'm going to carry a pack with you and we're going to get you all the way to the top but we can only do it one step at a time. And I'll give some guidance, like which routes have more of a successful, easier way to get there. But if you can just trust me that I'm not going to drop any pieces, we're going to build you a staircase of all these great habits around vegetables and protein and sleep and mindset and self-talk and problem solving when you hit those roadblocks. But I'm going to try to give them to you in an order so that you actually make meaningful progress up that mountain before I give you sort of the next part of the mm-hmm. journey or leg that you're going to work on next. Does that make sense? Do you trust me that I've got you to get you to where you want to go at the top of the mountain? Mm-hmm. And then they just relax. Cause they're like, ah, okay. My coach has this plan. They're not forgetting this component. They're not forgetting about alcohol. They're not, not talking about, you know, making more meals from scratch. What I'm teaching them in that first meeting is I'm going to build you up to succeed by a phase at a time that we're going to really have mastery over. Mm -hmm. And so they get to relax because they don't have to go home with 20 things they have to change at once, but they also know I'm not forgetting any part of their, their wellness journey. Mm -hmm. So you just have to spell out the expectations, I think. And a lot of coaches miss that piece, or maybe they miss it even in themselves where they're just so excited to provide value that they over provide value, but it doesn't actually offer value because you've overwhelmed and made someone feel discouraged. Yeah. There's yeah. always the joke. It's like the the worst trainer is the one that just got back from the seminar the day before. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because you want to regurgitate all this information. And it usually it does. It comes from a place of love. But yes, you know, I think it's it's so powerful because I like what you said there of, you know, we don't need to educate anybody that broccoli is a good idea versus, you know, a bag of Skittles. And right. That. You know, I heard this about, I think it was Henry Kissinger who talked about when the internet first came out and he said, well, all the information's there, but where's the wisdom? Mm-hmm. Like there's no wisdom there. And what you're just talking about there, that's experience and wisdom coming yeah. in. So it's like, you know, the more confidence that you build, the more confidence that you have. And I think that's one thing. I remember uh, Joel Cochran was just on the podcast recently. Oh, and- I love Joel. And Joel is such a great coach in the and his philosophy of it is just my goal is to build confidence in mm-hmm. everybody that I work with. And I thought that was, it's such a powerful thing because we talk about why do you want to do a nutrition plan or why do you want to exercise? Oh, I want to feel fit. I want to drop yeah. 30 pounds of stuff. Really the underarching umbrella is I want to feel confident in who I am every yeah. day in that, which is really power. And I think what you said there, which it's something we miss a lot is that belief that you can do it and mm-hmm. like that self-efficacy of like mm-hmm. when you actually go and if you think that all these things are important it's like well how am I going to manage a nutrition plan and then working out and then getting a walk at this time and then managing my right. stress and then all of a sudden if anything goes off the block when you break it down into one piece at a time and then the person actually does it and does mm-hmm. it to completion that might be the first thing that they've ever done to full completion yeah. ever And then talk about like opening the floodgates of success afterwards, right? A really good acronym is, I use this a lot. It's WIN, W-I-N, what's important now. And when someone feels overwhelmed, I'll just prompt them with WIN. Like what's a WIN of the day? What's important now? If you went to bed tonight and you were like, I checked that off my list. I feel really proud of myself. Today, it was getting back into the gym. I stayed the whole hour. 
I modified the intensity, but I got my win. What's important now is easing back into fitness, you know, post COVID. It might be like, can I get vegetables to be 50% of my dinner plate tonight? Awesome. In that meal, in that moment, what's the win? What's important now? Get half my plate really nutrient dense and colorful with fibrous nutrient rich veggies. Mm -hmm. And so what's nice is winning makes people feel more motivated. And by giving them the ability to win and succeed and get that touchdown all the way through, people are more likely to then be consistent. And why do people quit? They quit when they feel discouraged. Why do people feel discouraged when they feel like they have too many spinning plates and they feel frustrated with themselves that they don't feel like they're getting all the things they're trying to do completed? You feel overwhelmed and defeated. And those emotions make people more likely to stop something good for them. So we want to, that's why going to subtraction, we want to just focus on the, like the what's important now decision and then take it all the way through to a win. And as people stack up these little tiny wins, they feel more empowered, more excited, more motivated. And then that breeds more consistency, which will ultimately get them the final outcome that they want. So that's the wisdom piece I think of coaching is you do have to do less, succeed it all the way through, and then ride that momentum of success and winning that you're going to want to do more of that. I love that. W-I-N. That's a beautiful yeah. acronym. What's yeah. important and now? Win. Yeah. It's just, it's such a good thing just to go back to, just to fall on. So, yep. you know, I used to see this in athletics all the time, you know, playing baseball, you know, it's a sport where you fail 70% of the time and then you right. just start to get the yips and you see it with the best of the best in major league baseball. Right. And there's a hitting coach that said, it's like, yeah, all you did in there is you lost your confidence when you step up to the plate, all of a sudden, without even thinking about it, you're two strikes behind and you're Owen two. Yeah. And so you just, you go back into just put the ball on the tee and just start feeling just yeah. hitting the ball again, just feel the barrel of the bat. Like you just need to feel that little victory. You know that you can do this. You know that yeah. you can accomplish this. It's just about going back into those victories that wins all the time. And then once you probably stack these wins a little bit, then, okay, now you're not relying on faith anymore. Right. Now you have some reference points that yeah. you can go back to. And then what it creates is the self-identity of like, I'm someone that has like follows through on their word. I'm someone that stays committed. I'm someone that continues to show up. I'm someone that does the little things right. And so you have this like calm confidence in yourself that you're like, I can achieve anything I set my mind to because I'm patient. I know things are going to take time, but I just keep showing up and I just keep winning those little tiny mm -hmm. micro decisions where I follow through or, you know, I go against my, my thoughts and my word. And mm -hmm. so I'm someone that wins a lot because I show up. I follow through on the little actions and I just trust, I don't worry about the timeline. I just trust that if I keep making these great little day-to-day -day decisions, my life moves me in the trajectory of where I generally like it to see it go. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it's uh, That's such an important part. I wish I learned that earlier in my career. Mm -hmm. Like it's it really like over the last three or four years, I've really seen the value of that so much as I think the best thing as coaches of what you can do is just kept people really confident that they do what they say they're going to do. And like yeah. how much of this goes back to people just go into programs all the time, already assuming that they're not yeah. going to succeed because right. they failed over and over again. And so right. just to put them in the habit of you can do this and you can win and then see, here's proof of doing mm -hmm. this. Here's the victories that you had yeah. is 
it's as simple as possible, not easy at all, but I, I really think if there's any magic sauce of what we do as, you know, development coaches at all, I think that might be the number one. Yeah. And I mean, it's a great problem to have as a coach. I kind of joke that I get all these clients that have worked with other coaches in the past and not that I mean to be a damn, but it's sort of like they work with me and then they don't hop from me to someone else Mm. because I've set them up with their own ability to win and get those touchdowns and follow through on their word with themselves. And now they don't see themselves as someone who's like, ah, I'm kind of into health, but then life gets busy and I quit they've now changed their identity under my guidance of like, I can do this. I don't have to do it all at once, but I can do it in small pieces. And I'm just going to keep doing the little things right. And I'm a person that follows through on my, my goals and my work with myself. And for them, they don't want to leave a coach like me because every time we work together, they leave being more successful than when they came in. And that's a really good feeling. And I realized, I guess, partway through my career that I'm like, this actually creates addiction in a good way. Not that I'm trying to like make people so addicted to me that they never want to leave. I always say like, if I can graduate you and you're on your own Mm -hmm. and you're doing great, phenomenal, but I'm going to stay with you. If you keep seeing yourself win in your everyday life, then I'll keep being in your corner, giving you sort of the next little tee you up to like, go, you know, go get it again. Yeah. So it makes a huge difference. I think for how people start to feel about their confidence in themselves. Yeah. Who doesn't want to win every day? Yeah. It's a great yeah, feeling. That's a really great feeling. Yeah. yeah. So these people that come in that have struggled before in the past, maybe working with other coaches, what was the main thing that you've seen those struggles have? You know, failures can come from a lot of different spots, but right. what were the big ones? Was it overwhelm of too much information? Was it too objective and not getting into the mindset piece of it? What are, what are those things that you see most common? Yeah. So biggest mistakes um, I see coaches, you know, that set their clients up to fail overwhelming with them with way too much is number one. So they're like, you're going to do this and this and this and this and this and this and this perfectly. And there's no assessment of where's this person in real life. So let me give you a fitness example. If I was a personal trainer and uh, it was my first day on the job and I had a brand new client walk in, they had a knee surgery six months ago. They've been inactive and sedentary for five years prior, and they are out of breath walking up one flight of stairs. If I were to go send them out to do like an hour and a half, you know, CrossFit games level style of workout, I would be a horrific personal trainer. I'm going to get them hurt. I haven't assessed how they move and I've set them up to be incredibly sore and injured because I gave them way too much volume for what their physical capacity could handle yet nutrition. Oh my goodness. I see this all the time in the nutrition coaching world. Okay. You're going to work with me. I'm going to make you count macros. You're going to eat only 1,252 calories per day. You're going to get 40 grams at your breakfast day in and day out. You're going to make all your meals and snacks yourself. You're going to just stop drinking alcohol and refined carbohydrates and sugar are terrible. So cut that all out immediately and okay, go home. Here's your plan. If you have any questions, I'm a text away. Right. What? What nutrition client is going to succeed if three meals of the day, they're getting like Uber Eats and takeout and they haven't cooked in months or years, right? So I see this all the time in nutrition coaching is the coaches don't recognize they gave them elite nutrition implementation requests for someone that's like a complete beginner. But opposite's also true. You don't want to bore someone who's already being consistent and making some healthy choices and you make it too basic in your nutrition coaching. 
So I think I always picture this ladder in my mind's eye as a nutrition coach. And I'm always trying to visualize like how high up have they climbed on the ladder by themselves or with other coaches? Are they Mm. way at the top? Are they somewhere in the middle? Are they on ground zero? And that's okay. There's no right or wrong. I'm just going to find what rung I think they possibly are on this ladder. And I'm going to give them their next one or two rungs. So they definitely go higher. And I'm not going to give them the 20 rungs ahead because that's going to feel scary, right? At heights. But if Mm. you just have to go up one rung or two, you're going to be able to do that. And I think that's the mark. uh, I'm I'm sort of answering your question now in the opposite of the coaches who make their clients fail and the coaches who are really effective is they have this excellent ability to assess and not judge where their client is. And then they can assign and support with goal setting around that next rung or two, matching them right at their level. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. 100. Yeah. It's a powerful thing of, I've, I've questioned this a lot is do we as a culture just suck at goal setting? Yes, we and totally I, do. <laughs> and and I said, okay, like, well, if the answer is yes, okay, why? What is it? If it's no, then okay, what's the other problem? Well, if answering yeah. yes, it's like, well, I th- well, how long do we actually take in setting a goal? Oftentimes it seems like, oh, this is the goal that you have. Okay, boom, implement plan yeah. and let's go. That's your point B without actually knowing where your point A is right now. Right. And I always use the analogy of the GPS. It's like, well, if you tell the GPS, this is where I want to go, but it doesn't know exactly where your location is at this moment. Right. Yeah. It can't, it can't branch out any type of route for you. And right. once I got into that, what I realized too, Jen is, you know, even doing this for myself is objectively saying, okay, this is where I am right now. Take it as a finance. Like so many people will not look at their bank statement because they're scared to death right. of what it is. Yeah. But then when you actually look at it and you realize, okay, I'm still breathing. I'm okay. I'm still alive. Mm-hmm. I survived this right here. It's actually a very freeing moment when you can objectively look at, okay, this is where I am right now. I am a beginner or I, Mm -hmm. oh, I actually do a lot of these things very well. Okay. This is where I need to go and actually take that. And the first time that we spoke not too long ago, you talked about your initial consult where sometimes you'll take, you know, numerous calls and like work and take time to get to know somebody and really work with that. I think it's so powerful and we've shrunk down this like assessment time with somebody into you need to do it in 30 minutes or 40 minutes. And as soon as at the 38 minute mark, that's when you need to present your options of -hmm. what's here. When I'm like, why are, why are we pigeonholing ourselves into just this time of talking about somebody who's failed for maybe 15 years and now we're going to solve all their problems of who they are in 30 minutes. It's like, I think there's something different that we can do here. Well, and I think the power of assessment not only for yourself as the coach or the you know the advisor, but for the person, the the client is pattern recognition. So I like to often, as I'm coaching, I like to explain what I'm doing and why, so the client can understand my mindset of like what I'm doing. So I might say like, let's spend a little more time going through your past. You know, what's worked, what hasn't, where did you feel like you were really succeeding and doing the best? Like what stage of your life did things go really well? And where do you feel like were the low points where you really felt off track or everything in your mind's eye just wasn't, you know, coming to fruition the way that you wanted. And what we're going to do is I, I play the game of the three voices. So the three voices each have a name because it's easy to externalize self-talk if you can name them. And I talk about the inner bully that we're going to really shush and quiet down. We have a curious detective that's just going to gather clues and data. And then we have a wise guide. 
this intelligent, has our best friend, best interest at heart, that's going to lead us in the direction we want to go. So what most people do when they reflect on failures is their inner bully just pipes right up and judges you and criticizes you and shames you and makes you feel embarrassed. Well, if we study the literature of behavior change psychology, shame actually creates more shame and more behaviors that are less than desirable. So if we can quiet down shame and criticism and judgment, and if we notice the bully, I can point out that we all have a bully in our head and I'll just point out and be like, Hey, is that bully speaking up right now? And then I have the words framed over my shoulder in my counseling office. And those three words that I have framed are be curious, be kind, be honest. So then they're like, Oh yeah. Okay. That's the bully. So we're like, cool bully please step aside. This is a job for our detective and our wise guide. So what I want your detective to go in and do is it's just going to have a little notepad and it's just going to start to make observations and connections. Huh? I notice I eat a bag of chips on Friday night after nine o'clock. Huh? I notice that when I get Halloween candy two weeks in advance of trick-or-treaters, I crack open the box that sits above the fridge and I have two straight weeks of eating chocolate every night after dinner. I notice that if I work too late and I don't get home till 7.45 and I didn't have enough snacks or healthy food during the day, I'm picking up takeout on the way home. I'm just giving like client fictitious examples here. And so what we're just getting them to do is notice not only things when they feel off track, but like I notice I go to the gym when I get to bed by 10 p.m. and I have a well-rested night of sleep and my bag's ready to go by the front door. I notice that I have more energy when I have my water bottle beside me all day long. I notice that when I go to a gym with motivated people like me, I have an easier time getting through the workout than using my dumbbell set at home in my cold, unappealing basement. So you're just noticing when are the times that are easiest for you to follow through with success and when are the times that it's the most difficult for you to follow through with success. And you're not a bad person. We're just noticing patterns. And then what that little notepad does is we give it over to our wise guide. And then we actually consult with the wise guide. And I talk about it like it's sitting in a chair in the room. And I was like, huh, if you're a wise guide, would help lay out just the next step or two, because it it can see patterns of where you're really succeeding. What advice would your wise guide give you? And then I don't actually tell them what to do. They're having a conversation with the best part of themselves through the lens of their wise guide based on objective reality that the curious detective collected. And it just is such a neat way to counsel someone because they can hear and see the three voices at play. But a lot of times what people try to do is they, the bully shames them and then they just jump to the perfect extreme best answer, which isn't realistic or sustainable Mm -hmm. for the reality of their life. They skipped the curious detective piece. That's why I spend so much time assessing and I bring them into the assessment because it's not just me quietly obsessing, uh, assessing and thinking about things and making notes. I'm having them be an active participant in the assessment process. The break, <laughs> the breakdown of the, there's, there's so many things that I could say. I, I love the breakdown of that the thing I th- that's, I think so powerful of that is the disassociation from the identity. Mm-hmm. Of it. It's like, think we keep these things so much in our head that we think, you know, when we're feeling shameful, we right. feel like everything that we're doing is shameful. Or right. then it's like, if we're cured, like to actually give it almost a name of like, oh, this is another part of me and like, bring it out. 
And here, yeah. you know, one of the most famous examples we know in our culture is Kobe Bryant with the Mamba mentality, you know, where yeah. when he stepped on the court and he was the black Mamba, it was a different per he was stepping into that arena that there, yeah. he's not a father, he's not a husband, he is there to go and dominate. Then yeah. when he steps off the court, he goes back into Kobe and he does his all stuff. So to disassociate yourself and know that you can step into these different mm -hmm. energies of here. Yeah. So there's a great book. I don't know if you ever read the books by, um, what's her name? Debbie, I think it's Debbie Ford, the, the dark side of light chasers. No, I haven't, but I've, I've had this book now pop into my head from a few mm -hmm. different sources. I think it's a sign from the universe. I need to go read it. Yeah. So if you, uh, any type of Carl Jung type psychology of the shadow side and embracing the darkness of you, she goes into that and also says like, what's the, you know, what are the default, like, what are the, you know, the things that to avoid when you're going into chasing the light and like your positive patty all the time. And right. she has a, there's a exercise that you do in there of finding your sacred self where you actually envision yourself going into your sacred space. That's the space that you go and meet the best version of yourself and actually have a conversation with them. Yeah. Like they're an actual person. It's really powerful when you go into it, it takes some time to really get in, but it's a similar thing to what you're talking about, Jen, is to actually go in and talk to these different parts of your identity and the things that you do and actually yeah. converse with them objectively. Now, all of a sudden, you're not so close to it. You're not so close to the shame. You can actually go in and look at yourself from a 10,000 foot view and actually objectively look. I think that is, if anything, we don't do that often in the assessment process, but to actually see these things, that's when clear answers start to come up when you step away from it a little bit. Right. That's where I can see this being so successful for you. Well, and the coolest thing is, is it starts to become, you know, this tool that I, as the coach have taught a client into their everyday life. And they're like, wow, I noticed at first I was starting to judge myself because I did X, Y, Z. And then all of a sudden I thought about your curious detective and your wise guide. And so they're like, I stopped myself in the moment from like berating myself. And then I just got really curious about what was happening. Suddenly I didn't feel that shame and that layer of embarrassment and like, oh, like that self cringe. And then they're like, and then I heard my wise guide go like, what's the win I can get right here. And the perfect example is legitimately what just happened at, in my workout this morning, where I started a run, got lightheaded. I'm not a walker during a mm. 200 meter run, but today I did. And instead of feeling judged or bad about my fitness, no problem. My curious detective was like, you feel dizzy. This doesn't feel good. And I almost thought about stopping being like, well, maybe the appropriate thing is to stop working out. And if, if I had continued at the walking and easy pace and that was still too much, then I would have listened to the detective, which would have said, Jen, you're just not up for it. It is okay to stop. But I just was like, let me just try turning down the intensity a little bit. And my wise God is like, you know, you're here because you thought there'd be value in getting a workout this morning. Let's just see what the workout would look like if you went really, really light, really, really easy. You knocked off a round of the hard stuff and you went slower on your run. And then the dizziness went away and I felt fantastic for going to the gym today. Mm -hmm. And so that was a perfect example of the three voices actively guiding me in a moment by moment health decision. They just, mm. they're there all the time once you can name them and see them and work with them. That's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of the stuff that we talk about as coaches and in this space of health, fitness, and nutrition is always geared towards the beginner. 
And right. it's like, what are the beginning steps to do? Because a lot of people are in that space. But then there gets to this point where people get to the next level. They get to more of like an intermediate or I yeah. call it like the advanced beginner stage, right. which I think is a really challenging place to be because you've kind of, you've broken a lot of the obstacles that maybe really plagued you for a long time, but now you're stepping into a different zone. And then the same right. thing with now you're advanced. There's different struggles sometimes that come with different phases yeah. that you have. So have you seen other different things that you work on with people in different phases from, all right, now we're past the beginning stages. Now, these are the things that we need to start working on more. And so, right. On. So once someone's kind of past that beginner phase where they're going to have a really high ROI with a few fundamentals like vegetables and protein and hydration, and you know, the big levers that are really going to make someone feel better and have their physical body respond. I think in that intermediate and more advanced category, I'm doing a lot more mindset and expectation management. So what I mean by that, you see this a lot in fitness where the beginners are like, I just added 50 pounds to my deadlift in the last three months. No advanced person is going to see their deadlift jump by that many pounds. Like it, the, the law of diminishing, you know, returns is just that you work really hard and not a lot. The needle doesn't move a whole bunch or the weight's not coming off a whole lot, you know, easier or faster. So it's about teaching them that you're now settling into your lifelong cadence. And that's where they have to be okay to let go of external rewards. And you have to be more embracing the intrinsic reward of being a healthy person. I do this because I enjoy the energy levels that I get. I do this because I enjoy vibrant, excellent health. I have to be okay with eating vegetables and protein and drinking water and not having too much alcohol and going to sleep. Even if my weight isn't going to change anymore, even if I'm not necessarily getting that much fitter from these decisions, because it's now just something I enjoy. And so for a lot of them where they're like, oh, I want like more, it, you have to get into the idea of a trade-off. Okay. Like you want to be less than 8% body fat. Are you willing to eat slowly and mindfully 96% of the time? Are you willing to have homemade food 90% of the time? Are you willing to basically give up alcohol and treats? And a lot of the times people are like, I want this, but then they're not willing to truly do mm -hmm. what's required. So it's expectation management of you're also like good enough is good enough. And that's what I'm doing a lot with my intermediate and advanced clients is like, what is your 80% good enough? Because maybe this doesn't need this percentage of your pie chart in your brain. Maybe now that you have mastery here, you can go develop skills and be a beginner or an intermediate in your business or in your stress levels or in sleep. Like let's go into a new area and help you forge new skills. Cause now you have autopilot and habits and capacity that you didn't have before supporting you. And so I have those clients that are trying to optimize and it's my hackers. Like, Oh, I listened to this podcast. I'm going to biohack. I'm going to optimize. And it's like, you are already at 85%. Mm -hmm. Dude, the last 15%, let that just be life. And instead of like optimizing to get you to 97% perfect, what if you took that into being a better father? What if you took that into being a better leader for your business? What if you took that into just being a better community member instead of optimizing perfection out of your body? Can you go take that energy and transfer it into making yourself in the world a better place? So I'm getting a little philosophical here, but kind of grinds mm -hmm. my gears a bit. Those intermediate to advanced who are all about like the perfection of optimization 
almost to the demise of other parts of their life mm-hmm. where they could have just accepted a, a they're at a good enough place. And now they have free energy to direct to something new and important that, you know, matters to them. Yeah, it is. It's a tough space to be in. And it's, yeah. I've, I've told people, it's like, well, look, you graduated past this level. Congratulations. Yeah. You know? It's like, it's a good spot, but it is kind of a, it's a weird spot. It's like the middle of a marathon. You know, it's right. like, you're not at the beginning anymore. Right. There's still a long trek to go. And right. those, those beginning gains that you make where you're, leaning down where you're getting stronger, where you're getting more metric, all these things are checking off all at the same time, because you just changed a lot of things. And like, that's when you get the most benefits of it, where now it's, it's a hard thing sometimes that, okay, well now the consistency that you had, that's great. That's going to keep you here and you'll incrementally progress. If you want to keep going to another level, okay, what are you willing to trade off? Cause if you want to get to you know, I've been in the the low digit body fast before. It takes right. all your focus of priority. Right. Like everything else pretty much goes, you know, secondary, unless you're right. a genetic freak and you can just stay very lean. But if you want to get to that level, first off, I don't think it's really that worth it. You know, it's fun right. to take a picture on it and then you see yeah. it. But it is, it's it's a hard conversation to have at that time. So it is, it's I've I've questioned this before of we all talk about start with why, right? And it's mm-hmm. like I think at the beginning steps, Jen, sometimes not knowing exactly why, but just implementing things is just a good thing. Just leverage it. If you just want to change some things, great, do it. The why really starts to come into place even more so when you're almost in that advanced beginner, getting into that intermediate stage when you need to dive in and even assess even more. So like the assessment process you talked about, it's not just something that needs to be done at the beginning it needs to be done on a very regular level moving on forward. Yeah. I think that's so true with like anything in life. And I'll give a couple examples to riff off this topic. If you start to pursue eliteness in any one thing, the eliteness that you're pursuing becomes bigger and bigger and bigger part of the pie and everything else shrinks. So like, I remember when I was training for CrossFit at the highest level I could possibly be, my business wasn't as big. I wasn't as good of, as good of a leader. I wasn't as good of a girlfriend than fiance than wife because it was all about me, my training, my food, my my exercise. And then I made a decision to sort of retire from that super elite competitive level of crossfitting. And suddenly I went from two workouts a day down to only one. And I was like, whoa, I just gained so many things by giving that that eliteness up. I have more energy. I have more patience. I'm, you know, more fun with my friends and family because I'm willing to do more activities now where I was like, oh my gosh, what if I possibly get hurt? Or maybe I shouldn't go cross-country skiing because that makes me lose a more important CrossFit workout. Like now I have all of this freedom and energy and more of myself to give to other people. And so I think like even chasing like food eliteness or body composition eliteness, you have to become more and more self-focused and selfish to get more and more of an elite result. And a lot of times people don't question, like you said, why am I doing this? So is it because I just want a lot of attention in the photos that I take and can post on my social media? Is that the why that's driving me needing to be so controlling with my food and elite? Or can I look at the big picture of like, I started this for good health. I'm now in great health. I'm consistent. I've built these foundational lifelong great habits. Go me. I'm so proud of myself. Ah, and now I don't have to work quite so hard. I just have to maintain. And like I said, now there's energy left over 
to go have mastery in a new area. Maybe you go get mastery in a language or a business skill or being better in your relationships. Like go now be a beginner somewhere else that adds value to your world and your life. And so I think that's an important thing, an important conversation for coaches to have once someone's out of the beginner stage is defining their enough. Like what is your good enough stable point? And then it is okay to stop getting better. Like it is okay to just coast and be like, I'm not my good enough with food. I'm not my good enough with fitness. I'm just going to keep coasting here. And I have energy left over to other pursuits. Mm, it's so hard. Maybe unpopular I, opinion. I don't know, but I was going to ask. It's unpopular. Well, it is. It's uh, It's a powerful thing. I personally struggle with that because mm-hmm. I want to be elite in everything that I do. Like I want right. to be, and it's to go into the different, okay, where's my energy focusing on with different right. things? Like you do get to a point where, okay, what am I willing to trade up? What's the most important thing or what's going to, what is my definition of success? You know, we don't right. talk about that a lot. It's, we see things, oh, I want to aspire to do that. Like, right. Hey, the, that's a good reference to look at, but really what is most valuable, you know, mm-hmm. to you. And, you know, I read Outlive uh, Peter Atia's book and I realized like if I actually wanted to live longer, actually dropping down strength training is probably a good idea for, and I would have never thought that in my head before because sometimes, you know, what got you to the dance and got you there is not the same thing that's going to keep you going to the next level afterwards. So it is, it's kind of like when you get to that intermediate and going into that next advanced level, I think it's a powerful thing specifically for coaches and conversations to have of, with people of just going back to, okay, what are, what's important to you now of going in and, because the things that you do at the beginning stage, they are going to change. They're all going to evolve. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's powerful. I want to ask you, what is, you have, as I said, uh, some great metaphors that you have. What is the dog bark versus baby cry metaphor? Oh my gosh. I'm so glad you brought up the dog bark and the baby cry. Okay. So this is a game I call what's the unmet need. So I have a dog. I don't have a baby, but many of my clients have babies. I just play the game to what they have. So babies and dogs don't come out speaking English, but we can rudimentarily communicate with these sentient beings. So what do babies do? They cry when they have an unmet need. They cry when they're hungry. They cry when they have a wet diaper. They cry when they need comfort. They cry when they're scared or injured. And what a parent has starts to develop an ear for is they're like, oh, that's their hunger cry. Oh, that's their cranky, tired cry. It's time to put them down for a nap. Oh, that's, they just need a hug and and comfort. So imagine if a parent, every time the baby cried was like, oh, I'll breastfeed it or give it a bottle. And they only ever tried to solve crying with food. You'd be missing the mark when there was a wet diaper, when they were tired, when they were scared. So what we get really good at is figuring out the cry to the need. Same thing with my dog. She barks. She has a like, let me out to the bathroom bark. She has like, really let me out to the bathroom bark. Someone's at the front door. I'm excited. You stepped on my paw. Ouch, that hurt. (laughs) There's all these different little dog noises that she makes. And I've learned, I have an ear for different barks mean different unmet needs. So when a lot of my clients go into stress eating or stress drinking, what it is, is it's their body crying out, I have an unmet need. And what they're trying to do, if we get the curious detective on board, is they're trying to self-soothe using food to numb out because you'll get a bit of a serotonin high, you'll feel good really temporarily, but long-term you won't actually feel better. 
So whenever I notice someone is being pulled into stress eating, I'll just be like, baby's crying, dog's barking. What's the unmet need? And I get them to try to actually answer that. Is it that they're just exhausted and overworked? And what they really need is a hot shower and an early bed. Are they bored? And they've just been mindlessly scrolling on social media and they need a walk in the woods or a phone call with a friend. Maybe they're really overworked and they need to take their vacation days and just get out of their environment and clear their head and go away for a long weekend. So when we're better at figuring out why our body is driving us to cope, everything we do is to meet some sort of a need. A lot of the times the way we meet our needs isn't the most productive, right? People use a lot of numbing techniques. But as soon as you take away the judgment and you just treat it like a game, dogs barking, what's the bark asking for? Okay, you want to go into pizza or a bag of chips or whatever. What do you think the unmet need is behind eating right now when your stomach isn't actually giving you hunger signals? And then people are like, ah, and then all of a sudden they start to change the diaper, put the baby to bed, what it needs. They're like, I need sleep. I need to go to bed early tonight and make it like a nice, well-rested weekend. Or I'm really bored and I need to, you know, get in touch with my friends who I haven't seen in months and plan a dinner date or, you know, do a fun activity. I am overworked and I need better boundaries between work and personal life because I'm getting mad and resentful and then I'm stress eating out of that resentment. So as soon as people can play the game, And they get it when you think about a dog barking or a baby crying. It's sort of like, yes, it's trying to communicate with you just in its little infant Mm -hmm. way. So that's what our body does is it it barks and cries. And we just have to listen to what the need is and then Mm -hmm. try to match almost like a card game. You know, the game of memory as a kid where you like flip over the dog, flip over the dog, the candlestick. You're just like flipping over the first card of like, okay, what's the need? What's the thing my body's doing? And then you're like, what actually will best match off to make the body feel better? Mm -hmm. And you turn it into a game and now you don't feel ashamed or embarrassed. It's actually kind of fun to problem solve what your body's asking for. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, (laughs) you know, I don't take crazy notes often in here. I've written so many things down that you've given me, Jen. Um, Oh, I'm so glad. I got to say like the... I I love analogies and, and metaphors. I think, I mean, we learn from stories, you know, I think, yeah. and, and the more we can associate <laughs> it with that, I think that's powerful. But the gamification piece of it that you do as well, I think if anything, there's so many things that I believe you do well, but I think one of the things that I love about the work that you do is you take these things that we take so serious all the time and you put some lightheartedness to it and actually make it more fun to solve these problems, you know, things that we, you know, our health and we hear so many just fear mongering type things all the time about what's going on and you need to solve this and you need to get this down. You could have all this noise about if you don't make a change of this, then it's such a serious thing to actually have like a game around getting better with your personal development in there is so fresh to hear because I think as coaches first, we take ourselves so seriously of what we do. It's like the more you can give people wins, you can make them feel good when you connect, give them these opportunities to, when something like that happens and, oh my God, I'm stressing again. What the fuck do I do? And you're like, oh, the baby's crying. Right. Oh, you take it immediately out of the emotion and you make right. it. Oh, this, okay. Yeah. This is part of it. Yeah. You just bring it in. That's so powerful. So I, and we don't get mad at babies when they cry. Like that's also being realistic with your behavior change. You will not be motivated all the time Mm -hmm. to go to the gym, to eat healthy, to get enough sleep. 
babies aren't perfectly quiet and still and calm all the time to have cries. So when we recognize that we're like, oh yeah, I'm craving takeout or I want to go eat some Halloween candy or I want whatever. You're just like, oh, my, my brain is acting up a little bit. I wonder what it wants. Instead of being like, why aren't I being disciplined and perfect all the time? That's not realistic. Mm -hmm. So I think that also sheds a little bit of a I don't know, it takes off some stress of like the process of changing our behavior because people are like, I decided I'm going to be healthy. So I'm going to be healthy forever. I don't know. Like, I guess there's some robots that are like that, sure. but yeah. I'm yeah. human and normal, I yeah. think. And I don't always want to be healthy and I don't freak out at myself if I'm not perfectly healthy all the time. Mm-hmm. And as much as I can, I try to like, oh, you know what? What I really need is a walk. What I really need is a break. What I really need is some socialization. Yeah. But like, Sometimes I eat the chips or bake the cookies and that's okay too, because Mm -hmm. the overarching thing is there's consistency as my safety net. Right. Yeah. It's, I mean, the awareness of it and and knowing that you have the competence to do it and you have the confidence that you're going to get sick sometimes. Okay. And then you'll, you'll bounce back, you know, you'll know you'll get back. Yeah. No, it's powerful. Jen, you are a a rock star. This is absolutely awesome. Thank you again for coming back. This will not be the last time we'll have to do this again and keep these good conversations flowing. So thank you so much for joining me again. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Silga, so much. And for all you coaches, it's just my honor to add games and make things really fun. Maybe in our show notes, we can link some free stuff for coaches to uh, keep exploring and playing with the topic of nutrition coaching using games. That's yeah. Like, so you have, you have your master class. Yep. You have yeah. the liftoff course in there. Uh, let's get those back in the show notes where if people want to follow you, follow everything else, what is the best place that they can go and take a look? Yeah. So I'm on Instagram at prosper underscore NC and our website's prospernutritioncoaching.com. So any of that will lead you to some really fun coaching games for health coaches. Awesome. Jen, thank you so much. You guys, thank you so much. Much love to you. And I'll see you on the next one. Peace. Thank you so much for joining me today. I hope you found some great value here. And if you like this episode, please drop a comment and leave us a five-star rating and review. It does more to build the show than you could imagine. And do not forget to check out and join the Strength Connection Facebook group. In this group, I share the biggest takeaways and lessons from these amazing conversations, as well as training and strength tips for pursuing mastery and fulfillment in life. This group is filled with individuals looking to take full control over their strength, and it's the perfect space to explore new ideas and to share your journey. You'll also get exclusive access to the Strength Connection Mastery Seminars. It's a deep dive into the physical, mental, and spiritual training that you can begin using immediately. So do not wait. Go now. Seriously, go. All right, much love to you. Thank you so much, and I'll catch you on the next one.